It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. Well, if you have your Bibles, Deuteronomy chapter 6. <clears throat> and again, we've been walking through uh, the Shema of Deuteronomy chapter 6 and uh, kind of laying a foundation for what is it that we are called to so that as we're continuing throughout the series, we know what we have drifted from. And uh, what I'd like just to do this morning, uh, again, is just to read the Shema to, to all of us, just so it's fresh uh, in our hearts and our minds. Uh, so this is Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6, verse 4 through 5, and this is what uh, Moses declares. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. Uh, over the last couple of sessions, we were looking at this idea of just the Shema, the word Shema meaning to hear or to listen, not just in the sense of like, oh, I heard a sound, but the idea of like, I've come under the authority of, I've come and I'm obeying, it's, it's that idea. And we looked at last time, just this idea that what we were called to is an exclusivity of devotion. In other words, God, he is God alone, and he's called us into a relationship with himself. And so again, though it speaks of the Trinity and all that kind of stuff, the reality is, is that he is one God, and as such, because he is God alone, we are to have relationship with this God of ours called Yahweh. And again, this, this was kind of my way of kind of jumbling all this together, but Moses says, Shema, O Israel, Yahweh is our God, Yahweh alone. So though we live in the midst of a culture with a pantheon of gods, though we live in a culture that is so wrapped up in all these other gods uh, around us, we have one God, and he is our God alone. And by the way, that's still true to this day. Because even though we don't call them, quote unquote, gods, we live in a culture that is wrapped up in idolatry and in, in the gods of this world, and yet the reality is, is Jesus, Yahweh, is our God, and he is our God alone. That we are not to have our affections uh, in, a, in a myriad of things. He is our God alone. It's interesting as you come into verse 5, the statement is, because he is God alone, then you shall love Yahweh your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. Isn't it interesting that God declares who he is, or Moses is declaring who God is, that, that here is God, he is one God, he alone is our God. And then Moses says, you are now to love the Lord your God, that Yahweh your God. Uh, this, I just love this quote. One of the scholars said it this way, notice that it is not just love God, but love the Lord your God. The object is Yahweh, the covenant God who never leaves or forsakes us. Moreover, he is your God, so that one's love for him is simply the response of one who has already been loved completely and absolutely. And I just love that idea because what, what he's saying is God has overwhelmingly loved you. He has declared that he will never leave or forsake you. He has established who he is, and it's out of that overwhelming love that he has for us that he is calling us to love him. So this isn't like, a horrible command that's like, okay, I force you to love me. I'm bending your arm behind my back. Love me. And it's like, you know, the evil stepmother of Cinderella. And you're like, I don't really want to. Rather, this is the most loving, benevolent, kind, gracious, gracious 
steadfast, loving kind of a God. And he says, oh, I have this overwhelming love for you. I've been pouring my love out for you. Will you just love me in return? And you realize it is a whole lot easier to love someone when you have been loved. So this is not an arm twist. Yes, it's a command. Moses is saying that you are to love your God. But this is not an arm twist in the sense of like, well, you have no options. This is a, why wouldn't you? If your whole heart and affection has been given over to the one who already loves you, it is not that hard to love him, conceptually. Uh, the word love in, in Hebrew is ahav. And the word ahav, it's interesting. It's, it has this idea of love, but it has a far deeper, richer meaning to it. Uh, one of the scholars defines it this way. He says, the Hebrew ahav denotes the fundamental disposition of a commitment within a covenant relationship that seeks the well-being and the pleasure of one's covenant partner, often without regard for oneself. And although passion is obviously not absent from the word ahav, as used in Deuteronomy, this is not primarily an emotional term, but it is an expression of covenant commitment demonstrated in action. Isn't that neat? In other words, the whole emphasis of this word ahav is that it is a covenantal kind of a love and that it will always demonstrate itself in some sort of an action. Uh, the whole idea, and we'll talk about this in a second, but in the ancient world, you'd have these two kingdoms who would make a covenant with each other. And the stronger kingdom would basically say, okay, I'm going to command you to love me. And so as the lesser kingdom or as a lesser king, isn't it interesting? You're like, all right, I guess I'll love the stronger king. But it's not an arm twist. It's, it's a covenantal love that says, look, I realize that I'm getting much benefit. I'm, getting, I'm actually receiving far more than what I'm giving. But realize that though this is, there is an emotional side of this, ultimately this is not an emotional thing. Our culture has, uh, I think, gotten crazy with this idea of love. Uh, it's become the, the whimsical feeling, the goosebump. You know, it, it's, it's, we have this, our, our love pops in, pops out. I loved you one day, but I don't love you tomorrow. It's, it's, it's unstable. But this idea of a hav in Hebrew, is it, it is stable. It doesn't change. It is a covenant kind of a love that is consistent. What do we need to have that with Jesus? Wouldn't it be neat to have a covenantal love that, that's not like a roller coaster where it's like, I love you, I hate you, I love you, I hate you, I love you, I hate you. But it's just this steady, progressive choosing to love regardless of how you actually feel. Wouldn't it be neat if marriages were based on that kind of a love? And it should be because marriage is a covenant. It's not based on the whimsical feelings of the moment. It's a covenant. And in a similar sense, we are to have that same kind of covenantal love with our God. Uh, the, the Greek word, and when you look at the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it means to cherish or have an affection for or to take pleasure in or to prize. It gives a sense of like to have a great affection or care for something or loyalty towards someone. So again, there is this idea of emotion, but it's bigger than an emotion. It's a cherishing. It's an affection. It's a covenantal. It's a stability thing. It's a loyalty kind of an idea. Uh, that word ahav, it's, it's interesting. Oh, let me, here's a great quote. I forgot about this one. Uh, li listen, listen to what one of the scholars says. He says, no language better sums up. So this word ahav, this word love, no language better sums up the passion for God, the intimacy with God, and the fidelity to God 
that were the hallmarks of Jesus' own life and to which he called others. So when you look at the fact that Jesus said, hey, what is the greatest commandment? It is this idea. It is to love the Lord your God. The scholar says, oh, there's no better word that summarizes that whole concept of what Jesus, how Jesus lived and what he calls us to than this idea of love. Because it is a passion for God, intimacy with God, and a fidelity to God contained in this idea of love. I think that's just beautiful. It's interesting that this command to love God is a central focus to the whole book of Deuteronomy. This is so strong in the book of Deuteronomy, you cannot escape it. In fact, the word ahav appears 22 times in the book of Deuteronomy, and 12 of them specifically are about loving God. A few of them are about God loving us. Some are about loving others. But 12 of them are specifically a declaration or a command for you to ahav your God. And it's interesting that it's often connected with obedience and covenant. So since you look very chipper and alive this morning, and, and you look like you really need some like good exhortation for the soul, I want to read you several of these from the, the book of Deuteronomy. And as you well know, repetition is great for the soul, because it's a great teaching tool. So what I want to do is I, I'm going to read you several passages from the book of Deuteronomy, and I just want you to hear the thunderous declaration that we are called to love our God. And I want you to notice how many times this idea of loving God is associated with keeping the covenants or obeying his commands. It's interesting that this idea of loving the Lord your God is often associated with all of your heart and with all of your soul. So sometimes it will say heart, soul, and might. Sometimes it will just say heart and soul. I just want you to hear how the Shema, our, our passage, is just kind of declared all throughout the book of Deuteronomy. Okay, you ready for this? Let's just love this. Deuteronomy 5.10, but showing, talking about God, showing loving kindness to thousands. That's that word hesed. He shows loving kindness to thousands to those who ahav him and keep his commandments. Or Deuteronomy 7.9, know therefore that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps his covenant and his hesed to a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. Deuteronomy 10.12, now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you but that you fear the Lord your God to walk in all of his ways and to love him and to serve the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul? Deuteronomy 11.1. 1. You shall therefore love the Lord your God and always keep his charge, his statutes, his ordinances, and his commandments. 11.13. It shall come about if you listen obediently to my commandments, which I'm commanding you today, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. Deuteronomy eleven twenty two, For if you are careful to keep all this commandment, which I am commanding you to do, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all of his ways and hold fast to him. Uh, 13, verses 3 through 4. Moses says, You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. He's talking about the fact that there's going to be some people who will come in to test Israel's loyalties. For the Lord your God is testing you to find out if you love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul. You shall follow the Lord your God and fear him. You shall keep his commandments and listen to his voice, serve him and cling to him. Love that. Deuteronomy 19.9. If you carefully observe all this commandment, which I command you today, to love the Lord your God and to walk in all of his ways, then you shall add three more cities for yourself besides these three. 
uh, Deuteronomy 36, 30 verse 6. Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul so that you might live. Verse 16 of chapter 30 says, And that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in all of his ways, and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that you may live and multiply, and that the Lord your God may bless you in the land where you are entering to possess it. And then chapter 30, verse 20 says, By loving the Lord your God, by obeying his voice, and by holding fast to him, for this is your life and the length of your days, that you may live in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give them. Are you starting to hear this? thunderous declaration. Moses is constantly reminding the Israelites throughout the book of Deuteronomy, you are to love the Lord your God. Hey, you are to really love the Lord your God. And just in case you missed it, love the Lord your God. Did you get this? Love the Lord your God. And so that you don't forget, love the Lord your God. And this repetition through the whole book of Deuteronomy, you realize is not accidental. It is needful. Do you know how easy it is we as humans forget? And no wonder he says in this Shema that you shall bind this upon your foreheads and write this upon your arm and, and put it upon your doorpost and upon, this should be everywhere. Why? Because it is so easy for us to forget the most important things. And Moses says over and over, don't forget you are to love the Lord your God with everything that you have and all that you are. In fact, this is so strong that, uh, that of course, this is Moses' last declaration right before he dies, the whole book of Deuteronomy. Right before Joshua dies, he's given his final exhortation to the Israelites in the land of promise. And listen to what Joshua says. He picks up the same theme in the book of Joshua, and he says in Joshua 22, verse 5, Only be very careful to observe the commandment and the law which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God and to walk in all of his ways and keep his commandments and hold fast to him and serve him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. And then a chapter later he says, so take diligent heed to yourselves to love the Lord your God. So isn't it interesting that, that here are two godly men that right before they die, they're saying, can I, can I give you the last, just some last words of wisdom? Don't forsake the Lord. In fact, will you obey him? Will you keep his commandments? And will you just go crazy in loving him with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might? Here's how one scholar kind of summarized this whole thing. He says, in order to grasp his understanding of this concept, a look at the expressions that Moses correlates with the word is revealing. Israel is to demonstrate her love for God by holding fast to God, by listening to and obeying his voice, by fearing him, by walking in his ways, and by serving him. Another scholar said it this way, the command to love is central because the whole book, uh, the whole book speaking of Deuteronomy, is concerned with the renewing of the covenant with God. And although the renewal demanded obedience, that obedience would only be possible when it, when it was a response of love to the God who had brought the people out of Egypt and was leading them into the promised land. The language of love is reminiscent both of treaty language in the Near East and also of the analogy of the father-son relationship which has already been employed in the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, what he's saying is he's, he's going back to this idea of speaking about ancient Near East treaties. 
Now, I know that we're all experts in ancient Near East treaties. But in the ancient Near East, so the whole like Middle Eastern um, Mesopotamian region, ancient kingdoms would make treaties with one another. And so here would be a strong kingdom, and they would come to a weaker kingdom, and they would say, hey, would you like to be in a treaty with us? And we will give you protection, and there are certain things that we will demand from you. And typically, as they would write the treaty out, what the stronger king would do is that he would begin to list all of the good things and all the benefits and all the things that, you know, that he has done and will continue to do. And then he will say, okay, now here are the requirements that I demand you to do. It's interesting that when you read through the book of Deuteronomy, the entire book of Deuteronomy is actually written as an ancient Near East treaty. Moses, the way he actually declares in, in, in his three sermons throughout the book of Deuteronomy, or his three-point sermon, is he's actually walking through the same stylistic or writing style of a treaty. And he says, okay, let me explain who God is. This is his nature. This is what he's done for us. He is so good. He's led us out of captivity. He brought us through the, through the Red Sea. He, he's bringing us into the promised land. He is a good and gracious God. He is so steadfast in his love. Now, now that he's good, and now that you know that he's gracious, and that he has steadfast love for you, here is what he demands. And the book of Deuteronomy is built on that kind of a concept. Uh, the, the scholars tell us that in the archaeological findings of the treaties of the ancient world, uh, that there were several things that the ancient treaties would often have in the language itself. And here, here's just three of them that both the weaker and the stronger kings were to love each other as they loved themselves. Doesn't that sound familiar? That's actually the language that they would write. And so they would say, look, uh, me as a stronger king and you as a weaker king, we are going to love each other in the same way that we love ourselves. Now there was this idea that the great king, the, the stronger one, expected the, the weaker one to love him not merely because it was legal, not merely because it was a requirement, but the weaker king was to love the stronger with fervor and emotional commitment. And it's interesting that oftentimes the vassal or, or the, the servant or the, the weaker king was to love the stronger one with a love unto death itself. That they were willing to sacrifice even, even themselves for the stronger king out of a great love and loyalty to that king. It's a covenantal kind of a love. And so it's really interesting that when you look at this, what, what Moses is doing in the book of Deuteronomy, he's reminding the people to keep at the forefront of their minds daily. Again, the Shema was something that they would quote every single day, that, that you were to write this upon your heart and your mind, that this is, should be continually before your face. This reminder that they were to have an exclusive devotion and relationship with the one true God, Yahweh, and love him with everything they are, and everything that they have. So with that just kind of as a, an introduction, let me give you three quick ideas of the kind of love that you and I are called to. So when Moses writes and says that we are to love Yahweh our God, and we are to love him with everything, what does that actually mean? What kind of love is this? I'm going to give you three quick ideas. Uh, number one is this idea that it's a covenantal kind of love. It is a love based on covenant. That it's not based on emotion. It's, it's not based on a feeling. It's based on this idea of a covenant. One of the scholars 
wrote about, wrote about it this way. He says, uh, who the great king is and how good the great king has been precedes the stipulation. So again, we're talking about the, the Middle Eastern, uh, the ancient Near East treaties. He says the great king, how good he is and what he has done precedes the stipulations or the commandments so that the motivation, get this, the motivation for keeping the stipulations is to come out of a heart of gratitude for how good the great king has been. Isn't it interesting that in the ancient treaties, the big king or the strong king says, oh, I am a good king. Now here's what you need to do. Do you realize God actually functions the same way? Before the Ten Commandments, do you realize God reveals who he is? He talks about his goodness before he even gives the Ten Commandments. Listen to what this says. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 2, God says, I am Yahweh your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then he proceeds to give the Ten Commandments. And so there, again, there's this idea associated that before I just give you the commands and before I just give you the stipulations, I want to tell you why you should obey. Why should you obey? Because I'm a good God. And we are in covenant with each other. So therefore, the motivation for you to keep the commands, the motivation for you to keep the stipulations should be motivated not out of obligation, but out of a love. Uh, even before the Shema, the scholars tell us this is exactly what verse 4 is doing. It is a reminder of who our God is and how great he is. So here, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one, or the Lord alone. Scholars are saying, do you know what that actually is speaking of? It's speaking of the character and the nature of our God, so that when he says, love the Lord your God, it's not like, oh, all right, I guess, I'll, I, guess I better love him. Rather, it's, it's going, wow, do you know who our God is? And if, if I actually knew who my God is, I would just be compelled to love him. That it's not an arm twist. And you need to realize that, that we are wrapped up in a covenant with this God. And Moses is reminding the people, look, do you, do you realize that God has chosen you, O Israel, because he chose Abraham? That, that he set us free from slavery to Egypt. That he, he brought us to the Red Sea. He has a covenant with us. Therefore, we have a covenantal God and in that covenant, he's asking us for love. Uh, look at a couple, I just want to give you two of these. But look at what Moses reminds the people in terms of God's love for them. He says in Deuteronomy 7.13, that God will love you and bless you and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, your grain and your new wine and your oil, the increase of your herd and the young of the flock and the land which he swore to your forefathers to give you. Do you realize he made a covenant with our forefathers and he will keep it? Why? Because he loves you and he is in covenant with you. So just as he is asking you to love him in covenant, he has already declared that he loves you in covenant. Or Deuteronomy 23, 5, it says, Nevertheless, the Lord your God was not willing to listen to Balaam. Remember that whole story with Balaam and Balak? And Balak hires his prophet Balaam to speak a curse against Israel. And Balaam says, well, I'll, I'll only speak what God gives me. So he goes and he prays to God. He comes back. He goes, okay, I've got a great curse. I got a great curse. And he speaks and it's just blessing. And Balak's like, I didn't hire you to bless my enemy. I hired you to curse them. Balak's like, oh, yeah, I'm so sorry about that. Let me, let me go back. I'll pray. I'll get the word. I'll get a curse. And then I'll curse them. He goes back and prays to God, comes back. I got a great curse. Here we go. Ready? It's blessing. And Balak gets ticked off. 
And of course, Balaam is schmoozy. He's actually, he's not a good guy at all. He actually gives them a brilliant way to undermine all of Israel. But it's interesting, God is reminiscing of this thing. And he says, I am, nevertheless, the Lord your God, Moses is reminding them, that he, God, was not willing to listen to Balaam. But the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you. Why? Well, because the Lord your God loves you. He goes, that is the covenantal God that we love and serve. He goes, that's the one that is asking us to be in relationship with him. That he is a covenantal God, and this covenantal God loves you. So it shouldn't be that hard for you to love him. So think about this. God loves his people with the same love that he requires from them. It's that same covenantal love. God is not asking us to love him and he's just like, but I'm going to hate you. Isn't it interesting that we love him because he first loved us? And that's a beautiful biblical principle. In fact, in 1 John 4, 19, John writes, we love, why? Because he first loved us. And it's interesting, he's actually hearkening back to Deuteronomy. He's hearkening back to this concept that why do we love? How do we love? Well, we love coming out of this affection and love that God has already bestowed upon us. But it's interesting, even though God has loved us first and we are called to love him, do you realize we still need to cultivate that love? I love this quote by Oswald Chambers. Chambers says this, Before we can love God, we must have the lover of God in us via the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit has shed abroad the love of God in our hearts, then that love requires cultivation. No love on earth will develop without being cultivated. We have to dedicate ourselves to love. So in other words, even though God has loved you and you make the covenantal decision, all right, I am going to love my God. Do you realize it still demands cultivation? You still have to work and still have to progress and still have to spend time with and still have to get to know and you still have to choose to love your God. So not only is it a covenantal love that God has made a covenant with us and therefore we are loving him because we are in covenant with him, but second, it's this idea, it's a voluntary love. Again, it's not just a, an emotion that we're called to, but it is a decision of the will that results in action. And I love that idea with this word ahav, that it's a covenantal kind of a love, it's a loyalty kind of love, but it's a love that results in an action. So how do you prove your love? You look at the action of it. And in, in the book of Deuteronomy, the action that is connected to the love itself is obeying his commandments. It's keeping his law. It's keeping the statutes. Which is interesting. Well, I really love God, but I don't want to listen to him. Then that actually shows you don't love him. Because if you love him, you will obey him. Does that make sense? But it's a voluntary kind of decision. See, you could say, well, he's forcing me to love him, and he's forcing me to keep his commands. But the whole idea of a hav is that, yes, you're in covenant, but you are choosing, regardless of how you feel, you are choosing to walk in that love. And regardless of how you feel, you are choosing to obey him. Deuteronomy 11.1 1 again says, you shall therefore love the Lord your God and always keep his charge, his statutes, his ordinances, 
and his commandments. But this is the exact same thing that Jesus said. Jesus in John 14, verse 15, says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. What is Jesus doing? He's hearkening and quoting the book of Deuteronomy. By the way, outside of the book of Psalms, which Jesus quotes the most, Deuteronomy was Jesus' favorite book to quote from. He quotes from the book of Deuteronomy more than any other book of the Old Testament except the book of Psalms. And the book of Psalms makes sense because that was the songbook of ancient Israel. But here's Jesus saying, oh, you know what? If you actually love me, you will obey me. You'll obey my words. And that would not have been a shock to everybody. I don't think the Jews have been like, what? Seriously? You're telling me I have to obey? They would have been like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Because we've heard that all ever since Moses. But again, you've got to realize that the motivation for obedience is not a have to. It's a, wow, I get to. It's a flip of, of motivation. Because the motivation comes from the love. And the love, again, is not an emotion. It's not, oh, I feel like loving him today. Oh, I feel like obeying him today. Oh, I got a goosebump. It's not that. It's a, it's a voluntary decision of the will to say, look, regardless of how I feel, regardless of how I think, regardless of, of my mood today, I am choosing to love him. And therefore, I am choosing to obey him. Even if I don't want to do it, even if I don't feel like doing it, I will do it. Why? Because I am choosing, regardless of my emotions, to walk in obedience and love. Uh, John reminds us of this in 1 John chapter 2. John says in verse 3 through 6, he says, By this we know that we have come to know Jesus, if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has been truly perfected. By this we know that we are in Jesus, the one who says he abides in him, ought himself to walk in the same manner that Jesus walked. So are you starting to hear the same tone? This, this isn't just an Old Testament idea. This runs through the entirety of Scripture. That I am to love the Lord my God with everything that I have. But there's going to be an action associated with that love. Well, what's the action of love? Obedience. That I'm actually willing to say, Lord, I trust you. And Lord, because I love you, which is not based on my feelings, is not based on emotion, but because I genuinely love you in a covenantal kind of a love, I'm going to obey you. Even if it doesn't make sense to me. Even if it seems like it's going to hurt. That I trust that what you ask me to do and obey is actually for my good. Do you trust your God enough to love him so much that you will obey him regardless of the cost, regardless of the consequence, and regardless if it makes sense or not? In other words, do we know better than our God or do we trust that God actually does know better than us? And if we trust that he actually does know better, then we need to have a predecided yes that says, Lord, I love you, so whatever you say, yes. I'm in. I'm willing. So realize when we're talking about this idea that we are to love the Lord our God, that we are to ahav the Lord our God, it's a covenantal kind of a love. It's a voluntary kind of love. But it's also an emotional kind of love. And I've been emphasizing the fact that it's not an emotion, it's not based on feeling, and that's true. 
Because at the heart of a hav, it's, it's a covenantal, voluntary decision of the will that I'm going to love regardless of cost, regardless of consequence, and regardless of how I feel, regardless of the emotion. So all that's true. But do you realize that when you get to the heart of love, it's still an emotional concept? And that we are to love God, and how should we love God? Oh, with everything. And there's this beautiful idea that this Hebrew word, ahav, this word often will show up with another Hebrew word, which means to set one's affection on or to have strong feelings for. Your love for God isn't just to be an obligation. It's not just to be a duty. It's not just a have to. That when you get wrapped up in the love of God because he first loved us, it is, it is the greatest kind of love. It is, yes, Yes, it's not based on emotion, but oh, there is emotion. And there is a sweet intimacy of oneness, of relationship, of experience that you get to have with your God. What would it look like if you had sincere affection and a true, loving loyalty for your God that would just ever increase and grow and expand and get better and better and better and better? See, this isn't like a a rule-keeping thing where I grip my teeth and I'm going to love my God and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull this off and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to attempt to love God all the time. Uh, have, you ever, have you ever met someone who's engaged? I, I have come to the conclusion that if someone's engaged, I'm not going to talk to them until after the honeymoon because there's no, there's no point because they are delusional. They cannot think straight. They cannot have a normal conversation. How's the weather? Beautiful. <laughs> what time is it? Three more hours and I get to see her. I mean, the whole, they are in la-la land. They cannot function properly. And could you imagine looking at someone who's engaged and be like, all right, will you discipline yourself and grit your teeth and just think about that woman? The guy would look at you and be like, what are you talking about? I don't have to discipline myself. I just can't help it. What if you had that for Jesus? And yeah, there is a covenantal aspect of this. And yeah, there's a voluntary decision that it's not about the emotion. It's not about how you feel. So whether I have that woo feeling with Jesus or whether I don't, that doesn't actually matter. I'm walking in covenantal love. By the way, this is how marriage should be working too. But wouldn't it be neat to have such an intimacy with Jesus that it was ever increasing and growing and expanding as the days go by, that I know him better tomorrow than I knew him today, and I knew him better next week than I knew him last week, and a year from now, this, this thing's going to be so much better than, I've, than it's ever been before. Why? Because this thing is growing and increasing, and it's getting better and better and better and better and better and better. Moses says to the people of Israel, love your God. Jesus says, you know what the greatest commandment is? To love your God. Can I ask you, do you genuinely love your God? Not, not merely through lip service. Does it actually bubble forth in action? Do you actually obey your God? Do, do you love him only when the emotions are there or when the music has just had that stirring thing? You're like, whoa, I feel it. What about in the times you're just kind of in a weird funk? What if, what are those in those times you're just in like a eh, kind of a kind of a day? 
Do you still love God when you're exhausted as when you're fully awake? Do you love God when you're... Do you genuinely love your God? I don't know about you, but that's convicting. Because it seems like for a lot of people in the modern church, our love for God is when it's convenient. When I get something from it. When I get the whoo, goosebump kind of stuff. But true, genuine ahav for God is not based on that stuff. Yes, there will be emotion. Yes, there should be greater intimacy and wonder of who he is. But have I come to the place of a covenantal, voluntary decision to love my God regardless? Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we, uh, Lord, we do not do a good job at loving you. I mean, we give you lip service, we sing the songs, and we know when to stand and we know when to sit in the church service, but Lord, I think so oftentimes we're, we're interested in what we can get from you more than we're interested in you. Lord, is it possible to have such an intimacy and a relationship and a love for you that it'd be like a guy who's engaged to this gal who just can't help himself? And it's not based on emotion as much as it is just this overwhelming desire for the person. Lord, could you bring us into a place of a covenantal, voluntary, emotional love with you that we're just so wrapped up in who you are. And we love you because you first loved us. And because we've experienced all that you've done in our lives and the fact that you've set us free and by the work of the cross and the infilling of the Holy Spirit and the richness of your life. Lord, could that be the basis of us just going, wow, my Jesus is phenomenal. And Lord, could we love you regardless of how we feel? Could we love you regardless of what we get from you? Could we love you just because of the fact that we are in a covenant relationship with you? And Lord, would you somehow enable us to respond in obedience? That we're not having to obey because it's a force not because it's a have to, not because our arm is twisted behind our back, but because, wow, we are so wrapped up in intimacy and love with you that we just, we just can't help ourselves. We want to obey. We, we just delight ourselves in seeing you smile. Lord, I've come to the conclusion that I can't love you like I, I want to. I can't love you like I'm supposed to. So the solution for that is, strangely, I need you to infiltrate my life in such a way that you enable me to love you like you call me to. So Lord, this isn't self-discipline. This isn't a grit my teeth. This is a somehow embracing you. And in the embrace of you, you somehow love yourself through me in a way that I can't do on my own. And so, Lord, will you somehow allow me to love you with everything? And will you somehow take this love and will you increase it? And, Lord, I want the fullness of love and affection for you today, but, man, I want this thing to increase tomorrow and increase the next day and increase the next day. And, and Lord, man, if I love you like this now, what, what could it be like in a year from now? 
What could it be like in five years or ten years from now if this thing just keeps increasing? Lord, will you do that in my life? Will you do that in the lives of those who are listening? Lord, we do want to love you. Oh, you are so good. And Lord, we just want to spend some time this morning just worshiping you and beholding you and just declaring our love for you. So Lord, will you accept our worship as love from us to you? Lord, we do love you. Just give you all the praise and all the glory in your precious, powerful name we pray. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder episodes are released every day, Monday through Friday, from our campus in Windsor, Colorado. And our weekly sermon is delivered live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings with a delayed live stream available at noon Mountain Time. Go to ellerslie.com forward slash daily to get all the details. Thanks for listening.